0: First question. Mavis, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, oh, right. Mavis, question number two. Do you want to hear me? (laughs) Oh, good. Because we're having this series about the Ten Commandments, like uh, Sue just said. And there's a point to be made about every week in this series, which is this, that the Ten Commandments and all the other commandments are for people who have been redeemed. They are not an entrance exam. There's a a view that goes around, it's common everywhere, that the Ten Commandments, etc., are a sort of lifelong test. If you score enough marks, you'll get into heaven, and if you don't, you won't. But that's not what the Bible says, and it's not the truth. They are rules for people who have been redeemed. They are not an entrance exam. Now, we are supposed to focus today on the third commandment, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. And this can be dealt with at a surface level, but we'll go on to a deeper level. So, complete this sentence, perhaps. You need to fill in a word there. You need to imagine that you don't quite follow uh, what I'm saying, so you're turning to your neighbour, and you're saying, for example, What the tangerine is he on about? It doesn't make a great deal of sense. Uh, You could try a part of the body instead. What the kneecap is he talking about? And it's still just uh, nonsense, isn't it? And if you haven't got the point, you could try putting your own name in it. And if you still don't get it, well, just say to the person next to you, what the tangerine is he on about? So uh, we need to uh, look at the story of Gehazi And we need to start a little bit back before the part that we read out. We are in the period of the kings of Israel, uh, and uh, Elisha is the chief prophet in Israel. He succeeded Elijah when the chariots of fire took Elijah away, and Elisha received a double portion of God's (coughs) spirit to enable him to prophesy and do miracles uh, and to represent God in Israel. And indeed, the uh, Bible goes on to tell us about several different miracles that Elisha did. And he's become famous. He now has a following. There's a band of other prophets who follow him, apprentices, you might think. And he has a servant. He's uh, coming on in the world, and the servant is Gehazi. And Gehazi, like all the other people, know all this recent history because it's been done in public. And then zooming in onto Naaman's story, the short version is that it begins with a slave girl. Naaman is the commander of the armies of Israel. He's important, no, he isn't. He's the commander of the armies of Aram, uh, who are the enemies of Israel, uh, and they've taken this girl prisoner. Uh, I wanted a, a picture of a girl slave and then decided I'd better not put up anything that came up on the internet and here's just a girl with clothes on instead. Uh, and uh, she is now serving the wife of Naaman, the commander of the army of Aram. And Naaman then gets leprosy and faces ruin. It's not good news for him because nobody will want to sit next to him anymore in case they catch it. Uh, he'll have to leave his job, uh, probably live somewhere remote, and it's not good news for his family or his slave girl either, because they'll lose their their wealth and if uh, wealth and affluence. And then the slave girl pipes up and says to her mistress, "If only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, the capital of Israel at that time. If only he'd go and see him, he would cure him of his leprosy." Actually, it's not quite true. Uh, Elisha can't cure him of his leprosy, but he can point him to the living God who can. But it was the best effort she could do in good faith. And it has its effect, and we're still on the short story, Naaman goes to see Elisha, who tells him to go and wash in the Jordan. And here's the best picture I could find of that. If you're fed up with listening to the, uh, uh, to, to the sermon, this is a picture where you can find several hidden objects, uh, like a ruler and a balloon, which actually I can't find, uh, and a fish and some other things. I realise it might be a bit small, but you get the general idea. This is Naaman washing in the Jordan, and he's delighted because he's clean again. And he goes to offer Elijah, a, I mean Elisha a gift... Uh, as a thank offering, perhaps. He says to him when he gets back to Elisha's house, Now I know there is no God in all the world except in Israel, so please accept a gift from your servant. And Elisha answers, No. uh, I shan't. And even though Naaman urged him, he carried on refusing. So Naaman went on his way. And with him, he went a message. And it's like this. The God of Israel healed you as a free gift, even though you were a foreigner and an enemy of my people Israel. With the benefit of hindsight from today, we might think of Romans 5.8, where St Paul writes, this is how God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this, back in the, the day, is the message that Naaman has learned and will take back to the Arameans and the king of Aram and so on. God has worked it that this piece of good news about him will get to this enemy country. And then Gehazi spoils it. After the passage we read, he runs after Naaman asks for silver and uh, rich clothes and so on, because, he says, some visitors have come. And he takes them back to his house and hides the stuff, presumably for some future time to get them out. Elijah, of course, really is a prophet, and he's seen this happening, even though he wasn't actually there. And asks Gehazi when he comes back, where have you been? And Gehazi says, nowhere, haven't been anywhere. As a fitting punishment, he is struck with leprosy, Uh, the leprosy that Naaman used to have and has just been healed of. He will remember this for a long time because the leprosy will be with him for a long time. It's a nasty disease. You come out with spots and things and you start decaying and that's not a very nice picture and it gets worse as you get older. And that's not a nice picture, so let's look at Gehazi himself now, cast out, having to live out in the wilderness, because nobody wants him around them. He is the one who will now be in isolation, facing poverty and increased disability, just like Naaman has been set free from. Now, you will remember that I'm supposed to be talking about the Third Commandment, Uh, But it doesn't look at first sight like this story is particularly about that. But the commandments and sin and so on are like a tube of Smarties. You fancy, uh, shall we say, your favourite Smartie is a blue Smartie. So you open the tube and eat the blue Smarties. But before long you're on the purple ones, the green ones, the red ones and whatever colours there are there. Uh, And they're all the same inside anyway, aren't they? And likewise with the commandments. It's difficult to break just one commandment at a time, because it's part of a syndrome, isn't it? You're breaking one for a reason, and you probably break some others at the same time. And this is Gehazi's charge sheet. The obvious thing is that he's telling lies, isn't he? The Elisha did not say, go and collect some stuff off now. And when he came back, he said he hadn't been anywhere, and he had. Perhaps we'll call him a thief as well. Although Naaman uh, gave willingly when he was asked for the clothes for the fictional people who had turned up, he had actually been tricked into giving those things under false pretenses, and they didn't get passed on to the travelling prophets, who didn't exist. Uh, And so that was, in effect, a sort of fraud or theft. Looking more widely, he's fallen short in other ways as well. He didn't see what God was doing through this whole episode, where God had worked it that he would let the Arameans know who it really is, the living God. Naaman had got the message and was going home with it. But Gehazi, who was there and saw it all, has missed out totally and doesn't follow it at all. And worse still, he's reducing the glory of God, by making him seem less generous, less different from the other false gods than he really is. His actions have defamed God's generosity and cut across and defeated his plans. So there are several broken commandments here, but we are focusing on not misusing God's name. (coughs) So, what is the mischief in misusing God's name? God's name is intended to convey to people who God is and what he's like. That's what names in general are for. But you learn what a a, a name means, or a word in any case, by the way people use it uh, and what they mean by it. For example, people used to say that Japanese cars, and I'll go back 40, 50 years to when I was a young man, they used to say that Japanese cars were rust boxes. And what's more, a bit on the small side, because they were designed in Japan where people are smaller than they are in this country. At least, that's what they said. Perhaps you heard that as well, or perhaps they only said it where I used to be at the time. And as a result, calling a car Japanese meant something bad about the car, that it was not well made, it wasn't big enough, and not good products like the British ones were. A couple of decades later, people have learned that the Japanese are very good at making cars and organising factories. uh, And their cars are reliable. And so when you say a car is Japanese now, it doesn't have the same meaning anymore. The way people have referred to Japanese cars down the decades has changed over time what the word a Japanese car actually means. When you use Jesus' name as a swear word, it says Jesus doesn't matter. If you drop a brick on your foot and exclaim the name of God, you're not saying anything useful about him. If you're crossing the North Sea and you fall off halfway through, it's quite possible that you'll exclaim the name of Jesus as you land in the water, and you would, in that case, actually be uttering a a very basic and emergency prayer. But a bystander who hears you will think it's just the same as when you drop the brick on your foot. The meaning of the name of Jesus would have changed in their mind because of all the wrong ways it's been used in the past. And that's why he's so keen that his name should not be misused, but only used to convey true things about him. So let's look at what Gehazi has done to the name of God by his misbehaviour. The message was, you remember, the God of Israel healed you, Naaman, as a free gift, even though you were a foreigner and an enemy. But now he's taken some stuff off him, and that's changed the message too. The God of Israel healed you, and you need to pay him back, which is a a different message. Half of it's gone, which is not good. In fact, you could say the message has almost become a lie as a result of that. This commandment has a double negative in it. You shall not misuse. And not misusing something is almost the same as using something properly, isn't it? So let's look at uh, what we could do with the misusing side. We would be misusing God's name if we took credit for something that God has done or given us. We would equally be misusing His his name if we fail to give God credit for something He has done. Or if we blame Him because a brick landed on my foot, for example. Or again, and this would be a subtle one, if we say that God told us to do something so you've got to agree with me, when in fact God did not say that. On the other hand, using it properly, we could tell everyone what God has done or given us, giving him credit and praise for what he has done and what he's like. If I drop a brick on my foot, it's my fault for being careless, isn't it? And I must always be careful not to go beyond what God has really said to me. What about Gehazi himself? How should he have applied this? Instead of what he actually did, he could perhaps have acknowledged the privilege of being near Elisha, even as just a servant, when miracles were happening. He could have decided to praise God for the miracles. He could have decided to learn from them. He didn't get why he had sent Naaman away and had taken nothing of the present that he'd offered, But he could have uh, asked him afterwards, Elisha, why didn't you accept anything? It was free money, why not? And Elisha would perhaps have explained it, and he'd have learnt something. He could have been glad for Naaman that his leprosy had been taken away. He could have been glad that Naaman had learnt something good about the God of Israel. That one is actually a a tall order because they are, after all, the enemies who have been stealing girls away to be slaves. But, thinking about it, God did this miracle, so it must be good. We need to get on side. He could be glad that the Arameans were going to find out that Israel's God is the real and only true God. And that uh, would be a good thing. It would be part of... Uh, God being elevated to being the true God and acknowledged as the true God of the whole world. So where does that leave us? This story began with a slave girl and it ends with Gehazi alone uh, in isolation. Which person in this picture do we strive to be like? On the left-hand side, the slave girl spoke truth about the living God and pointed Naaman to his prophets who could minister God's healing to him. When he was in fact healed, he and the Arabians and the others knew that the true God was in Israel. So she had honoured the name of God, and they knew more clearly what his name meant, and what he was like. She had used his name well. On the right hand side, Gehazi. Through his dishonest conduct, he had dishonoured God's name, spoiled the message that God intended the affair to convey to all these foreigners. Of course, they still knew that God heals, but they also did not know, as they should have done, that he does it as a free gift. So, without even using the name of God in words, he has tarnished God's name by making him appear like a contractor, a paid-for God that you bribe to do something which he is not. He is a gracious giver, and that was what they were supposed to find out and didn't. And so today, we could be like the slave girl, pointing people to Jesus, who loves them like he has loved us, and he has died us, died for us and given us life to the full and an eternal destiny in heaven. Or alternatively, we could get our lives and our speech, bring dishonour to his name so that people never realise that it really is Jesus they need to seek out. Who do we want to be?